God, we love you, and we're thankful for you. We're thankful for all that you've given us, all that you bless us with, God. We just come this morning just hungry for you, hungry for your word, hungry just to, to leave knowing that we have met with you, God. Would we just, would you open up our hearts and minds to know that we have met with you this morning? And God, would the words that I'm speaking this morning not be my words? God, no one, no one comes here to hear from me. We all come to hear from you. And so I pray that you would speak through me, God. Would they be your words through your word this morning? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we have been uh, in this series uh, called The Journey, talking about holiness and talking about what holiness is and the pursuit of holiness, the pursuit of of God in our lives. And so uh, this is actually week four, believe it or not. This series has been flying by for me. I've had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, But we've just been really just unpacking this whole idea of holiness and what is is holiness. We've kind of defined holiness in, in week one as the pursuit of God in every area of our lives, right? And there's not one area that we're not pursuing God. That's what, that's what holiness is God. It's a pursuit of God in all aspects of our life. And, but I call it the journey. The series is called the journey because I've asked you at the beginning of this series to just pick, pick one. Pick one area of your life, whether it be a habit that you have, whether it be a spiritual discipline that you'd like to start, whether it be some emotion that you struggle with, if you struggle with anger, if you struggle with something else, to, to just give that to God and just let him have it. Right? And try to pursue holiness in this one area of your life. And this is, this is kind of what holiness is all about. How do you pursue holiness? It's kind of like eating an elephant. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you pursue holiness? One step at a time, day after day, one step, one step, one step. And so this series, uh, we're kind of taking a, a month-long step, if you will, where I ask you to pick an area and, and kind of just pursue God in that one area over this series. And so we, we, we did that week one. We kind of picked those areas and thought about that. And it's not too late yet. If you haven't done it, I want you to do it. And I want you to be specific about it. I don't want you to just, just pick a general area of your life. I want you to pick a very specific part of your life, and I want you to give it to God, and I want you to pursue holiness in that area for the for the remainder of this series. A couple weeks ago, uh, we talked about that. We talked about what happens when I pick this area and I fail. Pastor, I picked anger, and before I left the parking lot, I was angry. Pastor, I, I picked. I want to read my Bible more. I, I I really wanted to read my Bible more. I want to do that. And on Tuesday of that week, I. I stopped. I realized on Sunday that I hadn't read since Monday. Right, what, what happens as we pursue holiness in an area and we fail? What, what does that mean? And we talked about what, what Paul says about that in 2 Corinthians. We talked about repentance, a godly repentance, a repentance that leads to change. It leads to, to something bigger. It leads to a closer relationship with God. Repentance is, is a huge thing. And last week we, we, we talked about how those failures don't define who we are. That we're not defined by the person that we used to be. We're not defined by the person that, that, was, that was saved by grace when we made a decision to follow Christ. We are defined by the person. We are defined by Christ and our relationship with Him. This week I, I want to I kind of continue, continue this a little bit. And I don't want to, I want to just, as we live out this new identity, this identity in Christ, remember, remember last week, you, this is who you were, 
This is who you are. Live out of who you are. Right? That was our whole thing last week. As we live out of who we are, how do we do that? What happens? What happens when, I, when I'm living out of who I am? I'm, li- I'm trying to live, I'm trying to the best of my ability to live out of this new identity in Christ and hard times come. What do I do then? What do I do when I'm, living my, when I'm living my life for Christ and hard times come? Because they will. Scripture is filled with, with people who are trying to follow God who experience hard times. And there's really a couple different, there's a couple different extremes that people can go, a couple different reactions that people can have. Right? In Exodus chapter 17, the people of God come out of, out of Egypt. Right? They, they've seen all of the plagues. They see the Dead Sea part. They see God work in miraculous ways. They have bread from heaven coming every single morning. They, they see God at work. And less than three months later, we know from Scripture in Exodus chapter 16, they are already asking this question, God, where are you? God, what's going on? God, do you even care about us? And again, less than three months ago, they're in slavery in Egypt. But they're able to ask this question, God, where are you? Hard times come. Where they're trying to follow God. They're, they want to follow God. But hard times come, and they begin to question, God, where are you? There's an opposite reaction that we read about. Probably the most prominent one that we read about is in the book of Job. And there's a guy named Job. It's a book about him and his life. Now, Job is, Job is one of these books that is it's hard to read. If you want to go there, we're going we're gonna to spend a little bit of time there in Job. Job is right before Psalm in your Bible. Uh, Job is, is one of these books that's kind of hard to read. I remember one year, uh, I decided that I was going to read through the Bible all in one year, all in the order. I was just going to go from beginning to end. And I remember getting to Job, and remember, this is after like Numbers and Deuteronomy and all these other books. I get to Job, and Job is basically this, if you haven't read Job. Job is like two really good chapters at the beginning, two or three or four really good chapters at the end, and then the middle is just meh. You know, it's kind of like, it's okay. Yeah, that's all right. Job is getting some really bad theological advice from his friends in the middle. It's just kind of, kind of just a weird, a weird book, right? But Job is kind of a hard one to read, and so I, I changed the way I was reading that year when I got to Job, and I got to the middle of Job. I said, I just, I can't do this anymore. I need to skip around. I need to do some things. So anyways, it's a great book. Don't get me wrong. It is a great book. But like I said, there's a couple chapters at the beginning, a couple chapters at the end. But, but I think there's some things that we miss, even in the middle of this book that teach us a little bit of what it's like to go through hard times trying to follow God to the best of our abilities and, and, and sticking with it. Sticking with our relationship with God. Job is a, is a great example of this. See, Job, in the book of Job, is described as someone, in, in, even in verse, verse 1, right? He is a, he's blameless and upright. He feared God. He shunned evil. This is a guy who is pursuing God. Put in the language of our series, he was, he was pursuing holiness with all that he was. Right, this, is, this, is, this describes Job, and, and honestly, it describes Job multiple times, even in, in chapter 1. It starts out in verse 1. It also says it again in verse 8, and it says it other times in this This is who Job is. And in verse 6, we begin to, to kind of see that they, these angels come, and they present themselves to God, and here's what happens. One day, 
I'm in Job chapter 1, verse 6, by the way. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? I love this. God is like bragging on Job right now, right? Job, Satan has gone throughout, roaming throughout the earth. God hears that Satan has gone roaming throughout the earth. And the first thing that comes out of God's mouth is, did you see Job? You can just see like the beaming, proud father look on his face, right? Have you seen Job? Oh yeah, you were, in, you, were, you were roaming throughout the world. Did you see him? Did you see Job? Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless. He's upright. He's a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then. Everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. I just want to stop right there. This, is, this can be kind of hard to read, right? First of all, it's hard to imagine this conversation happening between Satan and God. Second of all, you read this conversation, and it's hard not to get a strong kind of pawn on a chessboard feeling. Right? God and Satan are just talking about, okay, well, if, if you move him here, I bet he'll do this. If you do this to him, I bet that, that this will happen. I, 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 it's just kind of hard to read sometimes, right? You, you read that, and, and it's, it's a little weird. But you keep reading, and just over the first two chapters, some amazingly awful things happen to Job. Job loses his family. He loses his livestock. He loses literally everything. In just the middle of chapter 2, we read about Job, who's been inflicted with sores all over his body. He's sitting on the ground, and he's itching it with pieces of broken jar, broken pottery. He's itching his sores with pieces of broken pottery. You can see how far Job has fallen, just in the first two chapters. So then Job, in in chapter 3, begins to have this this conversation with his friends, even, in, even though in chapter 2, even Job's wife, in verse 9, looks at Job and is like, what are you still doing? Like, why are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Would you just curse God and die? That's Job 2, chapter, verse, chapter 2, verse 9. Do you still maintain your integrity? Just curse God and die. This is Job's wife talking to him here. Now you can see how far Job has fallen. And again, Job in chapter, chapter 3 begins to have this conversation uh, with his friends. And there's about 35 chapters of his conversation with his friends. And these 35 chapters contain a lot of different things. Much of it is bad theology trying to get Job to curse God. Trying to say, maybe, maybe it was your fault that this happened. Maybe if you had just done things a little bit differently. Maybe it's your kid's fault that this has happened. They're just trying to give Job so many different excuses to say this is, maybe it was this, maybe it was that, maybe it was this. Maybe it was really bad theology, really bad kind of advice to Job from his best friends. But then, in chapter 38, God begins to speak. 
And when God speaks, it's not the, it's not the response that you would, I think, want. Right? When we go through hard times and when we're, we're questioning things and we hear from God, what do we want from God? I think most of the time we kind of want an apology from God. I'm sorry. And Job doesn't get that. Job doesn't get, I'm sorry, Job. I know that was hard, but I knew you could do it. No, it's not that. This is not the answer that, that Job gets from God. It wasn't an apology from God. In fact, I want to just read you this answer. God basically just puts Job in his place. Chapter 38. Sorry. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come and no further. Here is where your proud waves shall halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? that it might take the earth by the edges or shake the wicked out of it. The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and the upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of the de- have death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does the darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the path to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. <laughs> You're so old, right? <laughs> have you entered the storehouses of snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed, or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain, and a path for the thunderstorm, to water where a land, to, to water a land where no one lives, an uninhabited desert, to, sur- to satisfy a desolate, desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? For whose womb comes, for whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth from the, to the frost from the heavens? When the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen, can you bind the chains of Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with the flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you? Who gives the, who gives the ibis wisdom or gives the rooster understanding? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens? Or lion wait in a thicker or a thicket? Who provides food for the raven when it's young, cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? I could go on for a whole nother chapter. Job and his friends are questioning God, and God just says, who do you think you are? Who are you? Did you do any of this? Did you bring about any of this? Who are you? 
Job responds in chapter 40. After two chapters and change of God just giving it to him a little bit. And he says, I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Then God speaks again because he wasn't done. Gives it to him a little more. And then Job replies, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is that that obscures my plan without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. I had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Right, Job goes through this hard time, and the answer in Scripture is not exactly what we would expect. Who, who are you to question this? Did you put the world together? Did you tell the ocean you can only come this far? Did you do any of this? And Job, in this moment, just has to realize who he is and where he comes from, where his identity lies. This is the answer, though, that we get all throughout Scripture. Right, you look in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 55. My, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Right, Romans chapter 9 even talks in similar language here to, <clears throat> to Job. Romans chapter 9, starting at verse 19. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us for who is able to resist his will? But who are you? A human being to talk back to God. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? All throughout Scripture we see, we see people questioning God and questioning, is this, is this what I have? Is this, God, I'm going through this. Where are you? But there's a bigger picture than what we see. As we, as we pursue God, hard times will come. Hard times come. It's one of the few things we are guaranteed of in Scripture. Hard times will come. You will face trials of many kinds, Scripture says. But when they come, how do we respond? How do we respond? What is our attitude when, when trials come our way? Do we respond like Job? who even throughout the questioning is able to say at the end of Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Sorry, that's towards the beginning of Job. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. I'm going to keep following. He responds to this, this trial with, with faith. He responds and he, he continues moving forward in his faith. 
What is our attitude when, when trials come our way? My guess is that if we were to take a poll, there are some of us who have some Job stories who would say, man, I was going through this and I just stuck with it. My faith held strong and at the end of it, I saw the face of God. I would also venture to guess that there are many people with Exodus stories who, if I asked you, you could tell me all the things that God's done in your life. But a hard time comes and our initial question is, God, where are you? Scripture tells us how to, how to deal with trials in the book of James. James chapter 1, if you want to go there with me. James chapter 1, verse 2 is probably one of the hardest verses in Scripture to apply, I think. And here's, here's what it says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. When hard times come your way, you can be joyful. This, this language here, whenever you face trials of many kinds, the, that whenever you face there is literally whenever you are surrounded by trials of many kinds. That's the, that's the language that we read here in the original language. Whenever you're surrounded by trials of many kinds, consider it pure joy. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I consider it pure joy when I don't have any trials in my life. When I, when I don't have anything wrong in my life, when I feel like life is good, I'm pretty joyful in that moment. I don't always consider it joy when trials come my way. This is consider it joy. But why? Why can we consider it joy? He continues here. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Why can we be joyful in the midst of trials, because we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance, which produces maturity. This is what God wants from our lives. God sees the bigger picture. God has the end in mind. God wants a mature faith for you and me. This is, this is what he is seeking. God wants us to be mature in our faith. He wants us in the language of this series, to be holy. God wants holiness from us. My problem is, I just want to be happy. Maybe that's your problem as well. God wants holiness. My problem is, I just want to be happy. See, the language here in this, in this uh, there's more language here in, in James chapter 1 talks about the testing of your faith. It's the same language that would be used for, for a silversmith who's testing his silver, trying to purify his silver. Do you know the, the test for pure silver? Is when you can look at it and see your reflection. So as you test this silver, as you, as you do what you do to test the silver, what happens is the impurities rise to the top. And the silversmith will scrape off the impurities. And by the end, he's left with, with pure silver. With which he can look at and see himself. I want you to, to think about that as we talk about this verse. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you go through trials of many kinds. Because you know 
that the testing of your faith, these trials are the testing, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, which produces maturity. This, this testing of your faith, when we go through trials, what happens is all of, our, all of our impurities, they seem to rise to the top. And God, in his great love and grace, can scrape off these impurities. And at the end of everything, he's able to look at us. When we have become mature in the faith, he's able to look at us. And when he sees us, he sees himself. This is what it means to be tested. This is, this is why we can consider it joy when we face trials of many kinds because it's through the trials that we begin to look more and more like Jesus, more and more like God. It's, 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 it's amazing. Verse 12 in, in chapter 1, he continues talking about these trials. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the one who perseveres in a trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. If you think back to Job, this is the test, right? At the end of Job, Job is, God is able to have a conversation with Satan and basically just say, I told you so. He does love me. He does fear me. You did everything that you could to try and test him. But look at Job. Look at Job. My, my prayer is that when hard times come our way, we respond like Job. But I know that sometimes as we go through hard times, we tend to forget who we are in Christ and who God is in our lives. We tend to look a little bit more like the people in Exodus who had just seen God work in mighty ways and forgot. God, where are you? Yeah, I know we just saw the Dead Sea part. I know you brought us out of slavery. I know you feed us every day with manna from heaven. I know all of that, but God, I'm thirsty. Where are you? This is the same story that Moses hits a rock and water comes out of the rock. But, but God knows that we have a tendency to forget. If you have a tendency to forget, I want to remind you this morning, you're not alone. We all have a tendency to forget what God has done in our lives. We all have a tendency to forget what he means in our lives. We all have a tendency to forget where he brought us and what now defines us is our relationship with him. God knew that as humans, we forget. Which I think is why on one of his last nights on earth, he's having dinner with his disciples in the upper room. Passover dinner. And he knows it's going to be one of his last with him as he is about to go to the cross. He's about to be crucified. He's about to fulfill the purpose that he had while he was here. And he takes 
the bread and he takes the cup. And what does he say to them? He says, do this in remembrance of me. I know that you're going to be tempted to forget. But remember me. Remember what I'm about to do for you. Remember all the things I taught you. Remember where, you brought, where I brought you out of. Remember the way that you were. But now remember who you are. For centuries, the church has, has followed this example of remembrance of Christ. Call it communion, the Lord's Supper. And we do this every once in a while here at the church. We just we take some time to remember, to remember Jesus, to remember his sacrifice, to remember all that he has done for us. And here at the church, we, we pass out trays, and, and if I, I don't want you to feel obligated. If you're new here, you don't have to feel obligated to do this. You don't have to be over here either to do this. All we ask is that you have faith in Jesus Christ. But as the plate comes and as you take a wafer, would you just remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for you? And as the trays come and, and the juice, you take a cup of juice, would you just remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for you? He says to do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time. And we're going to take communion together. Now, as you receive the elements, I want you to just hold them. I want to take them together this morning. Just hold them. Have some quiet time of remembrance this morning. And then we will we'll take the elements together. First Corinthians 11 tells us that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the breath. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Take the cup. God, we love you. God, this morning as we, as we open up your word and as we talk about, about following you and about pursuing holiness in our lives. God, some of us are, are coming either in a hard time or coming out of a hard time. Some of us are going to go into a hard time. I God, I pray that you would just help us to remember you, to remember your sacrifice, to remember your grace and your love that brought us out of who we were into who we are. God, would you help us live out of who we are this week as we go forward. God, we, we love you. We give you all the glory, all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. As we close, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I just want to pray uh, a prayer of blessing over you. So if you're new here, uh, this, this might be a little awkward. I understand. I just ask you to just hold your hands out and just 
just receive this blessing from God this morning. May our God of love and of grace and of peace, this God who brought you out of where you were and placed you on solid ground in him, may go ahead of you this week. May he be in your conversations, in your workplaces, in your homes. May he guide you and direct you this week, that you would make a difference in your community, wherever that may be. Would you go forward in remembrance of him today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning.